G'day, and welcome to Stick Together, bringing you union news, workers' stories, and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Kunkel. The past month in Australia has seen almost a quarter of a million workers take to the streets in the ACTU's Change the Rules campaign. This week on the show, we take you to the United Kingdom, where the Trade Union Congress has launched a campaign seeking a new deal for workers. We speak with GMB organiser Hazel Nolan about the recent mobilisation, where tens of thousands of workers took to the streets of London. We also speak to the Community and Public Sector Union about the recent budget cuts to Centrelink and what they mean for both staff and those seeking to access the welfare system. But first, some union news. The trumped-up charges of blackmail against Victorian CFMEU leaders John Secker and Sean Reardon were dropped by prosecutors last week. The charges arose after the management of construction materials company Borrell suggested at the trade union Royal Commission that the pair be referred to police for making unlawful threats, including alleged industrial action against the company during the 2013 Grocon dispute. Speaking from the stairs of the Melbourne Magistrates Court, both John Secker and the pair's head lawyer alleged a conspiracy lay behind the failed push to criminalise union activity. Pressure has come to bear on Jobs Minister Michaelia Cash and former Industrial Relations Minister Erica Betts after accusations were made that they colluded with the then-Victorian Liberal government, Victoria Police and the lawyers representing key witnesses from Borrell. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus has called for an inquiry into the matter, describing the possibility that members of the Abbott and Turnbull government colluded with Borrell over the discredited charges as deeply disturbing. In other news arising from the failed Trade Union Royal Commission, ACT-based CFMEU official and former rugby league star John Lomax has received an undisclosed financial settlement from the Australian Federal Police for his wrongful arrest. Lomax was arrested during the Trade Union Royal Commission. His alleged crime was successfully negotiating an EBA with a painting company, which by way of them having to pay better conditions and wages, supposedly caused that company economic harm. The charges bordered on ludicrous, and the ACTU Department of Prosecutions subsequently failed to lead any evidence in court, causing the charges to be dropped. Lomax's settlement is in response to civil action, claiming that his wrongful arrest rose from a malicious prosecution that had no chance of success. The collapse of the charges against John and Sean and the Lomax settlement are a further embarrassment for the Liberal government, who, blinded by their ideological hatred of unions, wasted $80 million of taxpayers' money on a witch hunt. While the CFMEU and other unions have weathered the storm, the Royal Commission is beginning to look more and more like an own goal for the Turnbull and Abbott governments, with its senior ministers now embroiled in yet another scandal. A report from the Australian Bureau of Statistics released last week shows that wage growth in Australia continues to languish at near-record lows. Wages growth in the last 12 months was announced at 2.1% seasonally adjusted. This is just higher than the all-time low of 1.9% recorded the previous year. With inflation in five of the eight capital cities running at 2% or more, the cost of living continues to increase faster than the value of wages. The figure comes as the Fair Work Commission concludes its hearing into the annual minimum wage case, which will decide whether workers on the award will receive an increase, and if so, how much. Employer groups are arguing for either a complete freeze or for an amount below inflation, which would further exacerbate the problem. While employer groups have argued that increases to the minimum wage destroy jobs, the Reserve Bank of Australia has released a report that shows the opposite is true. Earlier this year, the Governor of the Reserve Bank, Philip Lowe, 
called for higher wage growth, urging workers to ask for more at the negotiation table in order to stimulate the economy. But perversely, workers at the money-printing arm of the Reserve Bank of Australia have now voted overwhelmingly in favour of industrial action, angered by the Reserve Bank's refusal to move from their annual offer of just 2%. The AMWU, one of the unions involved, have accused Lowe of hypocrisy. The unions are seeking increases of 3.5%, which is in line with what Philip Lowe has stated is required to stimulate the economy. Defence logistic workers, employed by contractor Lynn Fox, stepped up their industrial action last week in support of enterprise agreement claims. National Union of Workers members at defence sites in Nowra, New South Wales and Puckapunyal in Victoria wore union clothing and hats as part of a protected action campaign. These members join others who have taken action at Queensland's RAAF Ambly Air Base and Victoria's Bandiana Military Training Complex. In a heavy-handed response, the employers have had the members marched off the sites, locking them out of work for taking action. Union members are taking action after negotiations with Lynn Fox stalled. The company is offering four years of wage stagnation, and members at more defence sites have indicated their intention to join the action campaign, which is set to spread across the entire nation. On Monday the 21st, hundreds gathered in Melbourne for the launch of the next phase of Hospo Voice, this time formally as a union. Hospo Voice was set up as a pilot program backed by the hospitality union United Voice and the ACTU. Having had success in highlighting the issues of wage theft and sexual harassment in the hospitality sector, it will now provide a number of digital tools to its members to assist in enforcing workplace rights. If you work in the hospitality industry and want to find out more, just go to Facebook and search for Hospo Voice. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Since the beginning of May, we have seen roughly a quarter of a million workers take to the streets of Australia's capital cities and selected regional centres, all marching in support of the ACTU's Change the Rules campaign. But on the 12th of May, workers rallied in the streets of London, calling on their Conservative government to support a new deal for working people. The demands of the workers in the UK closely mirror those of the Change the Rules campaign. To talk more about the New Deal campaign, we're joined by Hazel Nolan, an organiser with the GMB, which is a general workers' union with expansive coverage in many industrial sectors of the UK. Hazel, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Thank you. Hello. Um, The Trade Union Congress in the United Kingdom is running a New Deal campaign. Can you give us some background on the campaign and outline its demands? The TUC have announced this campaign this year and it's to basically look back at the um, losses that have been um, encountered by workers um, over the last what, 10 years since um, austerity started to bite in the UK. The demands of the campaign include things like a minimum wage for £10 an hour, uh, getting rid of zero-hour contracts and properly funding our public services like the NHS, which you know have been hit by massive cuts and that's been, you know, there's been a 1% pay increase cap on local government workers um, for a very long time now. And it's just to try and say that, well, in order to get growth um, and to improve conditions for working people, that we need to have a new deal for workers. What's happening in the UK now that makes this particularly urgent? Brexit negotiations and um, the fallout that might come from that um, is probably a really big motivator behind it at the moment, uh, you know, and there are a lot of um, trade union rights that we actually do have um, enshrined in EU law that we might not necessarily be guaranteed to, to hold on to. And uh, we've already seen that the Tories um, attacked trade union rights around organising in, in the last couple of years and have made it harder to organise workers. 
Um, there isn't actually a right to strike in the UK. It's just that you're protected from being sacked if you go on strike. So it's, it's slightly different. And that that is a lot of that is tied up in different rights that we get from the EU for freedom of association. And there's a there's a fear that the Tories will try and kind of jump on on those. But they're having this great repeal bill that they're trying to push through. But there are lots of different elements that they're actually trying to drop silently. And it's now the kind of real hard right of the Tory party that are in charge of the Tory party at the moment. It would be reasonable to assume that they are going to try and attack trade union rights um, once uh, Brexit is done. On the 12th of May, there was a mobilisation of workers in the streets of London. Uh, Tens of thousands Mm -hmm. took to the streets. Can you give us a sense of the size of this demonstration compared to other recent rallies of workers? When I first uh, arrived in in the UK, we were having uh, trade union protests um, organized by the TUC that would have over 100,000 people. On the 12th of May, we had 25,000 people march. And so that's obviously considerably less. Why do you and think that is? I just, I think there's a bit of a disassociation. You know, we have to have something better than just the standard, like, blueprint for for a campaign being, oh, let's have a march and we'll, you know, organize some speakers. And it's, it's just the same thing. It's been the same thing for eight years now. And... Um, it's good that the TUC is raising awareness, but really I think the focus that the TUC should be doing is in looking at what unions are doing um, good work and making sure that everyone else in the movement is aware of that and can build and learn from each other because some unions are doing excellent work. Unite yesterday announced um, a completely inflation-busting pay rise for 22,000 workers uh, in Rolls-Royce, um, and it's above RPI, not even CPI, so, um, so the highest it's above the highest level of um, rating um, inflation. Like, we should be learning from that. And in, you know, in November last year, I organised what was actually an illegal occupation across three different shipyards in Scotland um, in in response to a company potentially going into liquidation. And we marched a thousand workers um, down the the high street, um, which was 95% of that workforce. And uh, the only people who weren't on that march were people who were, you know, still barricading the gates of the shipyards to make sure the companies didn't come in and seize them while we were there. And that forced the hand of the Scottish government to intervene and give a, you know, a really big um, pay deal to make sure that the work continued and that they won the contract and the yard was saved. There's so much stuff. There's like really great stuff happening with um, like the McDonald's strike workers that, um, that has been organised by the Bakers Union. I think the role of the TUC is to kind of capitalise and build on that because if I was a trade union organiser, I'd be wanting to know what's working, where is it working, how can I have that happen? you know, rather than, okay, fine, having another march. So in Australia, our equivalent organisation, the ACTU, is running a campaign called Change the Rules. And the central demands are very close to those of the New Deal campaign, uh, an increase of the minimum wage, the end of insecure work, or what you would call zero-hour contracts, um, overturning some anti-union laws and bodies over here, and improving our organising rights. But there's also this strong undercurrent against multinational tax dodging, there's, there's obviously a lot of alignment in these in the demands of these campaigns. In Australia, the Change the Rules campaign is entering into a phase of electioneering uh, where the union movement is mobilising against the Liberal government, um, which is actually a Conservative yeah. government. However, in, in the UK, there's not another general election until 2021. How are these demands outlined in the New Deal meant to actually materialise under a Conservative government? So in 2017, we had um, a general election last year and it, provo- it you know, produced a shock result. 
and um, because everyone was expecting an absolute like massive landslide for the, for the Tories and actually the Labour Party um, ran on a quite radically left um, a platform and managed to cause a huge upset and a hung parliament and I don't think that's any surprise because um, like I said like the whole um, I think movement behind Brexit and there's a lot of working class communities voted for Brexit with this idea of taking back control and people don't feel in control of their own lives and I think that's because people feel um, economically like they're struggling the trade union movement needs to needs to capture that. Now, I don't think that you can have a strong Labour government without a strong Labour movement underpinning it. The the good thing about this TEC campaign that we're, that's being run, a New Deal, the New Deal campaign, is that it's kind of consolidating into five different you know key asks changes that we all feel need to happen. So that so that's it's at least focusing attention on on what the big changes need to be and that there needs to be a big change, but that has to be tied back into the workplace. And that's that's the bit where that's lacking. And so I think I think you can sometimes you can get concessions out of conservative governments if we are relying on just having a Labour Party elected uh, in order to deliver change for people. Then that's that's kind of an indication that there's some you know we're not strong enough on the ground ourselves. And if the trade unions are strong and have built those relationships in their workplaces, then that will actually help secure a Labour victory. If that makes sense, because that's the relationship between the movement and the party. And right now there's a lot of places where we have to build back our relationship with our own workers on the shop floor. There's no point going into, um, you know, asking our members to vote for a Labour Party, right, in an election if, you know, we haven't been communicating to them properly about their pay deal for the last two or three years or whatever it's been. Um, Or if we haven't been, if they don't feel like we've been finding their corner, if there's been a disconnect between the union and its own membership, then there's no way we're going to be able to then have a conversation with them about politics. Mm. You know, that has to come first. The real work that the TEC could be doing is on is on helping build those relationships back up. And is there a component in this New Deal campaign that asks workers to take some form of action in the workplace? Is it underpinned by an industrial strategy or does the New Deal look more like a public-facing, election-oriented <coughs> campaign? Yeah, right now, to me, it, it, it looks like the latter. And I think that's the problem. I think... Um, now it's it's still in its early stages and it could still evolve into 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 that and start asking workers to to do things and to do actions you know, and that 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 way could be successful because we it has to link back into workers and not just you know I mean have nice graphics and um and and do a march and ask a union officials to deliver everything you know it has to actually be out and engaging workers but also the affiliates have a responsibility to do that as well and you know in fairness to the TUC they're not a trade union, you know, um, and it's it's unfair to make demands of them in that way. But what they should be doing is engaging with more with their affiliates to ask them, well, okay, we think you need you need to do the following things. In the same way that if I'm a trade union organizer and I go into a workplace, I tell the workers, this is your union, it's not my union. So here are the things I think we need to do, but it's your decision to make about whether you do them or not, you know. And I think you know the TUCs role is to be more of a facilitator than a leader in campaigns and um and and obviously you can lead through facilitation but that link has to happen and if that doesn't happen then we're just back to kind of activist mobilization as opposed to the deep kind of organizing that we're seeing in other areas and what's next for the new deal campaign i think the new deal campaign has to start making i think it has to start looking at how it can get affiliates to engage in the actual workers themselves what kind of actions 
can actually be done locally. I think rather than just trying to get everyone into into London to march, what I would like to see more of is individual um, demonstrations of strength within workplaces. Because I think, you know, it says a lot more if you have a thousand people marching down a high street, right? Um, but that represents 95% of the people who, like, from their workplace, then having 25,000 people march through London, that's supposed to represent, you know, out of six, six million uh, organised workers in the UK. Hazel Nolan, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thank you. You're very welcome. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and worker stories broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. In early May, Federal Treasurer Scott Morrison handed down this year's budget on behalf of the Turnbull government. Most of the commentary has been focused on the government's twisted priorities, gifting tens of billions of dollars to big business in the form of corporate tax cuts, while throwing scraps to workers in the form of a $10 cut to income tax. But there were a number of other ideological measures in the budget that have gone largely unreported, including large cuts to public services. Joining me now by phone is the Deputy National President of the Community and Public Sector Union, Lisa Newman. Lisa, welcome back to the show. Lisa, the dust is settling after the Turnbull government handed down the 2018 federal budget, but much of its anti-worker agenda has gone unreported. Can you give us a quick rundown on the worst of it? Look, we've seen a over $500 million increase in funding to the Department of Human Services, and not one cent of that is going to go towards any additional permanent trained public servants. All of that money is going to be going to uh, privatised um, corporate companies that, uh, because of the government's cap on staffing, permanent staffing, are going to have to be used to address the additional workload that accompanies that additional funding. The CPSU has come out quite sharply against the government's budget, particularly around the plans to increase this level of outsourcing. Can you tell us a little bit more about exactly what the government's planning to do in that area? Well, we have been concerned for a number of years about the levels of unanswered calls that go into the Department of Human Services by some of the most vulnerable members of our community. And last year, as a case in point, there were over 50 million unanswered calls, which is a concern that we believe needs to be addressed by an immediate increase in staffing. What we've seen is instead a classic neoliberal playbook being used across the public service, but specifically in DHS, where services have been run down and service standards have been reducing over time. And what we have is a budget that articulates where the government's true agenda is for the first time very clearly, and that is that they have said they will create extra jobs in DHS, but those jobs will be basically tendered out to companies like Serco. And they recently, just before the budget, announced that a thousand additional Serco jobs would be coming in to uh, answer calls in the department, in addition to the 250 they introduced late last year. So what we're seeing is they are going to attempt to address the uh, falling service standards by additional workers, but those workers, unlike APS workers, are paid at just over 50% of the hourly rate of our members, and they work on an insecure basis. And we know that that has a massive impact in the communities uh, where uh, those 
permanent job should be. Um, regional parts of the country are particularly affected. So wouldn't it be great if we could see 250 new workers in Tasmania where that would make such a difference and have all of the money uh, that is uh, paid by the government go into those communities instead of 50% of that money going straight into the bank account of a company like Circo, which will ensure that the profit that they are making out of that work goes uh, immediately offshore. And Lisa, there's a false economy here, isn't there? The CPSU has recently come out demonstrating that even though these workers are going to be more lowly paid, the cost to the government is actually higher in the, in the long run, isn't it? That's right. And we know because we have talked directly to the outsourced circo workers that they are not in receipt of the same level of training. And as I've said, they, they are in insecure employment. So the money that they should be getting uh, if they were full-time permanent workers is going straight into the coffers, the back pocket of a foreign-owned multinational company. And one that, um, I've got to say, has got an appalling track record of delivery of government services. So it's all based on a false economy. If it was about cost savings, you can guarantee that that's exactly what the government would have come out to say in their announcement. But they've been deafeningly silent on that issue. So it's definitely not about saving money. It's essentially about selling public service work to their corporate benefactors. You mentioned the 50 million calls that went unanswered to Sendlink, but on top of that, the average wait times on those calls that were connected is in excess of 20 minutes. What do the most recent changes in the budget mean for those people seeking to access the welfare system? Look, what we know is that uh, one of the things that our members tell us quite clearly from what they've seen and experienced to date is that because of lack of training and lack of investment in uh, these privatised workers, uh, this privatised workforce, we are seeing more errors occur. So that means that the community will have less certainty about the answers they're getting from the department when they do contact them. It's also generating a lot of rework and that is that is the untold story in this because every time an error is made, somebody has to fix that error. And so what our members are telling us is their rates of errors are going uh, up dramatically as are the level of uh, customer aggression because people, quite predictably, are incredibly frustrated by having to contact the department multiple times to address issues that in some uh, cases are incredibly sensitive to get the services that they need. There is an ideological game being played out here that Unfortunately, the community and our members, the uh, permanent public servants, will pay the ultimate price for. And at the same time, the recent budget also seeks to claw back $300 million um, through this so-called robo-debt program. You've mentioned the errors increasing from outsourcing. What what does the, the change and, and this ideological push to outsource mean for both the workers at DHS and those that are the targets of this robo-debt um, program? Well, look, what we could see is we could see uh, private companies uh, being given the capacity by the government to raise a debt against the citizen and then outsource that work to another private sector company to actually collect the debt. And it's really concerning, even on the most conservative figures, to see 
a 20% error rate occurring in those uh, debts. And our members tell us many of the people who have debts raised against them are with the least ability to actually question and have those debts reviewed. Many people are simply giving up and paying those debts. And I think the recent media around the department and the government's legal basis for seeking to collect debt on the basis of this flawed system need to be fully investigated. All of this is happening on top of the background of long-running pay disputes with some of the federal public servants still fighting to secure new agreements. Can you provide a bit of an update on where that struggle is at the moment? The government bargaining policy has actually got worse, not better. And a number of agencies that made agreements under the first bargaining policy are finding that uh, making, trying to make uh, agreements under the new bargaining policy is going to be even a, a tougher endeavour than the one they first initially made. And it's really the reason that I think there's been such strong support for a pushback from our membership in relation to changing the rules, because certainly what our members have experienced, and just using the members in DHS as an example, is a four and a half year pay freeze where the department couldn't make an agreement with its staff because its ability to do so was strangled by a overly restrictive bargaining policy which insisted on uh, cuts to conditions to fund record low pay increases. So you can tell a lot about an employer by the way it treats its workforce and I think the whole community should be very concerned about the I guess the, the precedence that this, this government continues to set in depressing the wages of its own economy, and it's the height of hypocrisy for this government to then frame concern about the lack of wage growth when they're doing everything that they can in their power to frustrate it. So, Lisa, is there anything for workers in this budget at all? If there is, it's a clear message that... Uh, we need to come together as concerned members of the community and demand more um, from our government. And if this government under Prime Minister Turnbull uh, has no intention of delivering for working people in Australia, then we need to elect a government that will. Lisa Newman, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. No worries, Matt. Thank you. That was Lisa Newman, Deputy National President of the CPSU, rounding out our show. A big thank you to both Lisa and Hazel Nolan for joining us this week. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Federation. The program is brought to your local station right around the country via the Community Radio Network. You can do your part to ensure worker stories remain on the air by calling your local community radio station and subscribing today. If you want to get in touch with the producers of this show, you can call us on 03 9419 8377 or email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Stick Together Program. Podcasts of this show and other recent episodes are available at 3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. Or you can subscribe on iTunes. A link to an extended interview with Lisa Newman is available on our Facebook page this week. Again, just search for Stick Together Program. Finally, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together. Stick together.